Hi, everybody. Welcome to Off the Podium. If you're in Model United Nations, you know that a lot of the time, us delegates are required to refrain from using personal pronouns and maintain professionalism. Well, this podcast is going to be defying all those rules. We'll be keeping you up to date on parliamentary procedure, as well as informing you on current affairs in realms of politics, entertainment, technology, and science with a simple and casual approach. It's never been more important to stay informed, so we hope you'll keep up with us. So let's get into it. Hey y'all, welcome back to Off the Podium. Um, today we have a great episode and we're going to start it off by uh, with a an MUN lesson. And we understand that it may be kind of difficult to um, fully, you know, understand the lessons when you're just hearing them. So we encourage you to go to our website because we have um, the presentations that actually follow exactly what we're saying. And especially for this lesson, we're going to be talking about operative clauses and preambulatory clauses, and it really helps if you can actually see the format. So we definitely encourage you to go look at that. Um, But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the lesson where we talk about resolutions. All right, so we are going to recap everything that we've learned so far. So the first thing is motioning, and this is how you move through the different sections of the conference. And since you're representing a country, you want to make sure that you're always talking in third person. So the first thing that happens in committee is going to be roll call. And once your country is called, you are going to pick up your placard and you either say present or present voting. Present means that you can abstain from voting. And present voting means that um, you have to vote on everything. It is recommended that you say present and voting because it just gives you more opportunities to participate. So after that, you are going to set the agenda. And this is where you decide on which topic you're going to do first. This really only applies to state because that's where you have two topics. During regionals, you don't have to do this because you only have one topic. So after you have chosen your topic, you are going to start giving the topic speeches. And so you have to open the speakers list for that. So the way you get on the speakers list is that you are going to raise your placard when the chair asks for who who wants to speak. And after that, you give your topic speech. And you want to make sure that it's clear and specific and it shows your country stance. And even if your country stance is different than your own personal stance, you need to make sure that you are talking about what your country would want. After that, you are probably going to have an unmoderated caucus, and this is the informal one. And you basically talk to other delegates with similar stances as you, and you start forming those resolution writing groups. Then you could possibly have a moderated caucus, and this is the formal one. And so during this time, people may present what their groups talked about. After that, you will have another unmoderated caucus and you'll start writing your resolution. And that is what we're going to talk about today. So a resolution is basically the culmination of solutions that the countries in your group will um, use to tackle the issue in committee. And writing and passing this resolution is basically the goal of the conference. So in your resolution, um, it consists of two main parts. You have the preambulatory clauses and the operative clauses.
So the preamp is like the introduction. It kind of gives you the background on the issue. This is where you state the facts, you give statistics, and you also talk about past UN actions. Operative clauses, on the other hand, are the bulk of the resolution. They present your actual solutions that you're going to debate for. You want to make sure that you have clear subtopics and that you explain your ideas in detail. You want to talk about everything. You want to talk about the funding, the ways you're going to execute your resolution. So you really want to make sure that you think about what the other delegates could possibly attack and make sure you address those issues. So, um... Yes, in your preambulatory clauses, you will begin with a verb and you want to italicize it. So I'm going to give you an example. Um, if we're talking about the impact of climate change on the status of the global commons, which are basically, it's just territory that no country has ownership of. It's um, like a lot of the ocean is part of the global commons. And so the issue is, you know, who is responsible for taking care of that? So, um, in our preambulatory clause, which is the first part of our resolution, we could say, um, noting with satisfaction recent treaties and agreements revolving around climate change, such as the Paris Agreement. So, this is an example of past UN action. Um, so, we're kind of setting the stage for where, you know, where the issue is right now. And then um, we can insert a fact to kind of back that up and give some context to people that may not know um, exactly what's going on. So, so that was one example of a preambulatory clause. And then next you could say, recognizing the issue of climate change and greenhouse gases since 1896. Um, and then you would give a few more. And you always want to have at least one um, preambulatory clause that is... Uh, addressing past UN action. So some other uh, verbs that you could use, you could say alarmed by, noting with deep concern, applauding, believing, confident, those sorts of things um, are examples of what you can use to start your preamp clauses. Um, and remember, you want to italicize it. But it's not the end of the world. If you don't, your chair will probably um, help you out on that if they do want it to be a certain way. Um, next are operative clauses, and these are the solutions to the issue, and they're action-oriented. So each clause should have a few things. So you want to number each clause and start it with an underlined verb. Um, so some examples that you of, of phrases that you could use, you could say urges, um, encouraging, calls upon, accepts, affirms, um, those sorts of things. You cannot use words like demands or condemns or strongly condemns because those are going to be reserved for the security council but um you want to start with an action verb and then throughout your whole resolution there's not going to be a single period until the very end of your last operative clause so think of it as kind of like a huge sentence that you end with the period so until then everything your preambulatory clauses are going to be separated by commas and then your operative clauses are going to be separated by semicolons. And if you do need a visual of this, because I know it's a little bit hard to kind of just imagine it, you can always visit our website and we have uh, presentations that follow exactly what we're talking about. So um, let's say we're still on the same topic of climate change, the impact of climate change on the global commons. So we could say, one, 
urges the implementation of a research and responsible practice database that grants access to all UN member nations. So that's kind of a broad idea, just having a database, but we want to get as specific as possible because that will reduce the, the amount of questions that people have and the possibility that someone will find a flaw in your resolution. So then we could have a subclause. We could have multiple subclauses, which are just ways to add detail into your operative clause. So then we could say, A, provides this pollution research to developing countries that cannot afford investment in such research. And then we could go even further to describe how exactly this would be carried out. Um, so basically each operative clause is just going to build on the other clauses to have a multifaceted solution because remember, we want to appeal to all types of countries. After you've completed a resolution, you're ready to introduce it. So you are going to name your resolution Working Papers 001 and share it with the chair. The number just changes based on when you're going to go. So once you're called on, the sponsors are going to read the entire resolution. However, if there are time constraints, the chair may ask you to skip the preambulatory clauses and just move on to the operative clauses. If you have read your entire resolution and you still have some time left, you can actually give a pro speech during that time and you can explain how it's going to help or why, it's gonna, why it should be passed. After the resolution is presented, the speaker's list is going to open for pro-con debate. As a side note, the pro speaker can be anyone. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone from the resolution group. So if you see a resolution that you didn't work on and you really liked it, you're allowed to give a pro speech for it. And after that, you're going to move into the voting procedures. Unless someone wants an amendment, so if that's the case, the delegate can write and submit the additions that they want and they can be added onto the resolution by the chair. After the voting procedure, if your working paper is passed, it becomes a resolution and then it can be presented during General Assembly. So thank you guys for listening to the lesson. Make sure to join the Remind um, before our informational meeting um, if you have not joined it already. So you can just text uh, at readymun to 81010 and follow us on Instagram at reedy.mun. Um, and from there, you have links to our website. And then our Twitter is at munreedy. Um, so make sure to check us out on all those platforms. And um, yeah, let's get into the news. So as we all know, COVID has had immense ramifications around the world. India having the second most cases in the world is also dealing with increased mental health issues because of the tight lockdowns. Because of COVID, millions of migrant workers have lost their jobs and they were stranded in cities and in some cases they weren't even allowed to go back to their villages, which has obviously caused a lot of strain on their mental health. According to a research conducted by the Suicide Prevention in India Foundation, in May found that nearly 65% of the 159 mental professionals that they surveyed reported an increase in self-harm among their patients. So the biggest problem with this is that India has a huge stigma around mental health and it also has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. In 2016, a national mental health survey conducted across 12 states documented a list 
of over 50 derogatory terms used for people suffering mental illness. So there's this idea that people suffering from mental health disorders are incompetent or irrational and there is no addressing these issues. Experts say that this could be in part due to the fact that none of the 22 languages in India have a term for mental health or depression. However, there has been a change in attitude due to recent circumstances. There is a central government initiative to address the mental health of migrants who were disproportionately affected by the lockdown. The National Institute of Mental Health and Neurosciences has also set up a hotline that gives access to mental health professionals. The government has also released guidelines on addressing mental health issues and giving advice on how to identify people going through it. However, this is not an issue just in India. Mental health stigma is present in societies around the world, and we need to fight it. The best way to do that is to start openly talking about it, and educating ourselves and the people around us, and really being conscious of our language. If you or anyone you know is struggling from mental health disorders, please know that there is help out there. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255, and the SAMHSA Treatment Referral Helpline is 187-726-4727, and this can help you get general information on mental health, and it can help you locate treatment services in your area. Since mid-August, devastating fires have been breaking out in California, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Montana. According to the National Interagency Fire Center, a total of 97 fires have burned across these states, heavily affecting the air quality. In fact, in areas such as San Francisco, Chico, and Sacramento, it has been deemed both unhealthy and very unhealthy. This can obviously have serious health effects such as lung problems and can exacerbate issues for people with pre-existing conditions. The spread of these fires can largely be attributed to the high temperatures and little rain that we've been seeing in the problematic areas, which have caused three of the largest wildfires in the state to occur this past month. In total, fires have burned through more than 3.2 million acres of land in California, and as far as for Oregon, fires are expected to continue until we see winter rain, according to the state's Department of Forestry Fire. Evacuation orders continue to roll out, and it is expected that, at least in California, fires will only worsen next week as winds and humidity levels rise. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode um remember we have our informational meeting on wednesday during advisory at 12 15 and make sure to rate and review the podcast at ratethispodcast.com podium and we hope to see you next week bye